This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. Linda Cohen here with you. Stem cells. They're being used to help cure debilitating neurologic diseases, as well as in the treatment of a wide range of other diseases. We'll hear with more about an exciting new research project into their use in generating retinal cells to preserve vision. Our Dr. Michael Zuber. He's Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Biochemistry and Neuroscience and his co-investigator, Dr. Andrea Vitsian, Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology, Biochemistry, Cell and Developmental Biology, and Neuroscience, both from Upstate Medical University. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. This is a very exciting project that you've both been engaged in for, for a bit of time. Um, I think you're, you're always doing research, but this is kind of a, a, a little bit of a breakthrough. Um, Dr. Zuber, tell me what exactly has happened? What have you recently discovered? So in essence, in, in the past, what we've been able to show is that there are seven transcription factors that are required to make a retina. Okay, I'm going to back you up just because it's my job to make it simple for the listeners out there. Transcription factors. Okay. What are you talking about? So these are, these are genes that are in the cell. They don't go outside of the cell. And what they do is regulate the expression of other genes. So they're major regulators. They're kind of the driving the machinery, more or less. They tell the cell what to do? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so at one point, there were seven of these that you postulated or found to be responsible for what? To make a retina from pluripotent cells or stem cells, if you want to use that okay, phrase. Okay, but let's explain what that is, too, a little bit. Stem cells are these kind of nascent or... Um, baby cells, for want of a better term, that haven't decided what they want to be when they grow up quite yet. That's right. That's where the, the word pluripotent comes from, is they can become anything that, in the body, actually, that any other cell type or any differentiated cell type that you might want. Uh, the key problem, though, is to figure out how to push them towards the cell type that you want. So Right. So you might, to... you might, in, free, in other, not in your research, but in other research, you might want them to become a liver. That's right. Or, That's right. or, or a heart or, or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, these stem cells that you were working with, you found that seven of them were, se there were seven genes. That's right within these stem cells that would tell them to make themselves That's into right. a retina. So if we if we gave them these seven transcription factors, these cells that would could become anything, they were essentially forced to become retinal cells. That was that was their directions. That's right. That's their right. <laughs> instruction follow, manual. They had to follow that recipe. That's right. That's okay. Right. All right. And so but there's been a breakthrough yeah, beyond so this, that. Exactly. So this new research so the question we next asked, so we knew these seven transcription factors were required but we didn't know what they each did, what was the role that each played. And so what we're doing here is we show that these two transcription factors, one's called TBX3 and another's called PAC6, they are required to first push these stem cells to a neural fate um, and then on to a retinal fate. So they were the primary drivers, That's for right. want of a better term. In other words, these two out of the seven were the ones that had to occur or were primary, and they needed to kind of start the ball rolling. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> start the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. So um, this is significant, I guess, to have determined that, and we're going to talk about why that's significant. But why then, Andrea, why do this research? What, what, what's, what's the bottom line here? What are we trying to find out? Well, you know, that's a very good question. And the main problem is the people that have already lost their vision, and there's nowhere for them to turn. There's only a few avenues right now available to patients that have completely lost their cells because in the retina, your cells don't regenerate. Mm -hmm. 
They are, once they're lost, they're, they're lost for good. And what we'd like to do is be able to create new cells that could be put back in the retina and replace those cells that are lost. What kinds of disease entities are we talking about? I mean, one that comes to mind, for example, that I think of with aging is like macular degeneration. Absolutely. Age-related macular degeneration is, is a, a very big problem. Um, it affects about 80% of the population over 80. Um, and so that would be a, a great candidate for this sort of therapy is to replace the cells that are lost in those patients. But, but also retinitis pigmentosa I was gonna say, there is are... another blinding disease that could be could be. Um, cured, essentially, if we could replace the cells that are lost. Of course, there's lots of problems with, with doing the surgeries, and we have to overcome lots of other barriers. But the, the first step, really, is to, to make those stem cells into retinal cells, like um, Dr. Zuber is talking about. Right. So, so getting back to that, Dr. Zuber, when we talk about um, get, you know, getting these stem cells to behave or to follow your directions, so to speak, where do they come from to begin with? So the, the stem cells that we're using, they're coming from a frog embryo, believe it or not. And the reason that we use uh, Xenopus lavis, which is the frog we use, is that we can easily isolate those cells. So when we fertilize a, a frog embryo and grow them up in, in bulk, we isolate a small bit of the embryo, and those are stem cells. Those are the cells that if we treat them the right way, we can make them muscle, we can make them skin, we can make them even retina. But they become frog muscle and frog That's skin. That's right. That's exactly right. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. They don't become human retina. Exactly right. But the power of using Xenopus is that we can very easily overexpress genes like we're talking about today, or even knock them down if we need to, and that the genes that make a frog eye are essentially identical to the gene that make a human eye. So it is really translatable. Absolutely. Wow, that's very interesting. So how did you actually do this? I mean, how did you come, how did you find these drivers? So, so we had, like I said earlier, we had overexpressed these genes in these frog pluripotent cells, these frog stem cells, and shown that when we transplant those cells, we, they go ahead and make a retina. Um, and so what we can do in Xenopus very easily is inject these genes. I'm just going to stop you for sure. a minute. You keep referring to Xenopus. I want people to know that's the frog, that's the, the frog. type of so frog. Yeah, so okay, like, go ahead. So, go ahead. so we, can, we can inject the frog, developing frog embryo and then isolate these stem cells. And because we've injected them early, those stem cells are expressing the genes. And then we can transplant those cells to a place on the, the frog embryo, developing embryo. And it'll, if, if the experiment worked, it'll make an eye. It'll make an eye anywhere on the embryo. It'll make an eye anywhere on the embryo, exactly right. Wow. And so then what we can do is we can say, well, what are the conditions we have to use? Do we have to use all seven of them? And so this graduate student, what she did was she said, she asked a simple question, how many do I need? Hmm. And she worked it out that it was just these two that she needed to generate a, a retina. Now, that, that's, I guess, the question I would ask you. Though, do you are you then saying that the other five are inconsequential? Not at no. all. No. Not at all. To so get clear. what we're talking about is the very first steps. We're not actually talking about. So what these two genes do is they take the pluripotent cells first, make them uh, neural. Neural meaning neurologic. That's right. They that's orient right. them towards rather than being muscle, they tell them you're going to be nerve. Exactly right. right. So they become any kind of neural progenitor cell. So that's where where they're going for. Right. So so the TBX3 says you're going to become neural. But neural can be an eye, neural can be a brain, neural can be a spinal cord. Exactly. So um, that's so the job. The second job is Pac6's job. Pac6 tells the TBX3 expressing cells, now you're going to make retina. Wow. Okay. Now the other genes that you mentioned, the other um, five genes that we worked with, their job is either to 
keep the retina cells proliferating or to allow them to become the different seven different cell types that are generated in the retina. So that, that are required that's to, right. to, to be a functioning, to function, yeah, a functioning that's exactly retina. Right. So okay. the TBX3 and the PAC6, like you said earlier, they get the ball rolling, they make you a retinal progenitor cell, but it's these other genes that probably dictate what kind of retinal cells will be generated. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with eye researchers, Dr. Michael Zuber and Dr. Andrea Bitsian. <clears throat> and we're talking about their breakthrough research into the development, really, of a retina, which is yeah. amazing. <laughs> amazing. So why, I guess, Andrea or Dr. Bitsian, why is this so important? Well, you know, the whole idea is that we'd like to take the cells that are pluripotent, these stem cells, and push them towards this retinal lineage. And if we can do that with simply adding these two transcription factors, these two proteins, and directing their their fate towards a, a, just a retinal cell fate, then we could give a clinician just retinal cells to be able to transplant in the back of the eye. What, the main problem with cell replacement therapy is that the pluripotent cells, because they could become all cell types in the body, could also become cancer cells. So that's the worry. Oh, that's a very interesting point. So you, you don't want any kind of mixture of anything. You really just want one type of cell, the retinal cell. So when you say they could become a cancer, I mean, the idea is that they kind of can be kind of go off the reservation, so to speak. Right. <laughs> they can become renegade. Yes, and yes, then, and that's and the worry. continue to replicate in ways that are destructive as opposed to constructive. That's right. Exactly. So, and so, so right now in, in Japan, there's clinical trials using uh, stem cells that have been made into the retinal pigment epithelial, which it is um, the support cells of the photoreceptors in the back of the eye. And some of those trials have been, were stopped for a while because they did find some renegade cells and they wanted to make sure that the patients were safe. So this is a very important point. But at your point now, you're still working with basically basic science, you're not, it Absolutely. hasn't, it's not translated into human cl uh, clinical trials. But what's interesting is that elsewhere in the world they are, not ahead of you, but they are doing a similar research, but they're actually engaged with human trials. Absolutely, and and that's why it's important that we understand the basic under the basic biology of what these cells are becoming and how they're becoming the retinal cells, because then we have a clear idea of how to control their development and be able to give, like I said, the clinician just the retinal cells that they need for the cell replacement. It therapy. also strikes me that the the one underlying commonality with stem cells is that when you're using them, there's an unlimited supply of one's own stem cells, and they are. Um, you would not have a rejection problem. So that, isn't that true with whatever you're doing with stem cells? Yeah, that's, that's one of the distinct advantages of using stem cells and with using induced pluripotent stem cells. So you could take a patient's own skin cells, for example, reprogram them so they go back to the baby cells of, of a stem cell, and then using the techniques that we're using, push them back towards just the retinal cells, and, and those transplanted cells would not be rejected by the patient's own body. That... I think is an incredible selling point, <laughs> almost, you know, more than almost any other, because as we listen to all the kind of problems with transplants of various kinds, one yeah. of the biggest ones is the rejection factor and all the immunosuppressive drugs people have to take in order for them to be successful and all the other potential side effects and issues. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Right. So no, this is a very big advance that the induced pluripotent stem cells were were discovered. So who who helped you with this? I mean, did you guys do this alone? <laughs> well, I had a graduate student by the name of Zara Murahari, um, who was who was he really enjoyed this challenge. The of those seven genes I told you about, 
only one of them, there was no clear link to retinal development, and that was the TBX3. And so Zara got very interested in that, and she's trying to figure out, well, why is it important then? And so, so Zara Morahari was one person that worked on it. And then uh, uh, Reina Martinez de Luna, who was a postdoc in the lab, also worked on this project and was very instrumental in helping You know, it along. strikes me, I don't want to run out of time, but it's really kind of um, incredibly striking the, the level of research that's going on right here in central New York. This kind of research is really kind of groundbreaking, cutting edge, of the highest quality, and I don't think most people in our community have any idea that you guys are doing this kind of work here and that you have this kind of quality. No, absolutely. And I mean, as well. We, we are very proud of our ophthalmology department. We have excellent colleagues uh, who we love going to work and, and talking to every day. And uh, we're just blessed that this is such a, a great department and it's nationally recognized. We go to international meetings, people know about us, and they're excited that we're. That we're here. So who's supporting it besides Upstate's program? Are, have you gotten funding, NIH funding? Where is the money coming from? That's right. So it's um, the National Eye Institute is a major funding source. Um, the Lions Club in central New York really? here also gives us a lot of a lot of funding, very important. And then the other uh, people that give us our research to prevent blindness is another uh, group that supports our work. So very briefly, we only have a little bit of time left. Where do you think this is going to go? How soon or how long will it be before this translates somehow into human trials? Oh, it's, it's going to be a while. Um, there, Like I said, those clinical trials are ongoing in Japan, and there's other clinical trials in the UK and here in the US using those support cells, those retinal pigment epithelium cells. But really, we'd like to eventually have, um, have these retinal cells available to clinicians, and that could take, oh, I, I don't know, Mike, what do you say? 10, 20 years? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we're a bit so way off. We're, we're a, a bit, bit way off. off. But, yeah. but the reality is, there is hope, That's right. and that somebody who otherwise would be blind might actually be able to see. Yeah. So I want to thank hope. you both. I'm, I, I have to really applaud you both for this incredible research and wonderful thank work. You. Thank you so much for thank coming you. in. My guests have been Dr. Michael Zuber, Associate Professor of Ophthalmology, Biochemistry, and Neuroscience, and his co-investigator, Dr. Andrea Vizian, Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology, Biochemistry, Cell and Developmental Biology, and Neuroscience at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.